This is Political Junkies with Brian Howie. Hi again, everyone. It's Brian Howie. Welcome back to Political Junkies, the podcast for those hooked on politics. Uh, back for an encore. He knows where all the beautiful bodies are buried. He's a financial guru. He's a bookworm. He knows a lot about a lot of things. Michael Sartain. Let, let me just say, I, I don't know where anyone is buried. Let me just go ahead and state that first. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we can't joke about things the like that. The beautiful bodies are buried. Yeah. yeah, some of the bad ones, some of the good yeah. ones. Um, and we're piping her uh, in via the, via the uh, Political Junkies satellite network. Um, we're going to talk some military stuff and then get into other things. And so I have a couple of uh, vets here with me, but she's coming in via... Remote. I don't even know where she is, but Rochelle Lafleur, how are you? Lafleur, I'm good. How are you? Can we say where you are geographically? Michigan. Wow, Michigan. See the Mitten State. Are you in the uh, Yupa? Where in the Where in the Mitten are you? I am on the west side. Okay. The best. She's side. in an undisclosed location somewhere in Michigan. Undisclosed. Michael Sartain <laughs> is uh, four feet from me, and there we go. Um, <laughs> What can we be doing more for our military vets than saying thank you for your service? Oh, man, that's such a loaded question. Um, If I had to focus on anything as it relates to veterans, it would be the suicide rates and mental health and focusing on equality as it relates to that mental health. So no stigma associated to that. Uh, whether you're male or female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way to put that. I think that's good. We're going to get that in a second, but one note on that. So we do hear the stat a lot. 23 suicides a day. Is that what it is? 22, 23? 22, yeah, 23. Terrible. Yeah. Obviously, one is terrible. But when you compare that to the regular population of that demo and of that age, it's not tremendously out of a whack from the civilian civilian number. Right. Well, I think I think one of the issues is, and uh, this is a little bit different because we're not talking about vets, but uh, I the suicide rate is higher at places like Cannon Air Force Base in, in Clovis, New Mexico, or it's worse in places like Wichita, Kansas, or places like that. I, I've always had a huge issue with the fact that you're going to take thousands of men and women and put them in ice, austere locations. And then expect their, their mental health to be okay. Like, well, human beings were not meant to be isolated like that. Because I remember being stationed at Elson Air Force Base in Fairbanks, Alaska, and being like, Jesus, man, I, living here, living here, I would consider some some really dangerous So it has too. more, even combat aside and all that, it's, it's that that starts the mental deterioration? Well, it's also the world's going on around you without you. It's, a, it's the first time I was in, I was deployed watching my girlfriend with some other dude and having, on Facebook, and having nothing I could do about it. And just sitting there just yeah. like, oh, man, this is it. And then my dad died, uh, and I got sent to uh, my first deployment, and I just remember just feeling like the, uh, looking at my friends having fun, and then just the world goes on. But we we, we agreed to serve, so that's what we right. get. It's volunteer incarceration. Correct. Correct. We we agreed to serve, so that's that's essentially what, what, what we do. But there is still so much we can do for people afterwards mm-hmm. because here's one of the issues. And, I, Rochelle, I'd love to know what you think about this. So many times we say the word, this person is crazy mm-hmm. it's very dangerous right somebody had a bad experience in a relationship and we say that the person that they were with is crazy and the thing mm-hmm. is we have defined mental health issues with like type 2 personality disorders like sociopathy or narcissism or stuff like that we have schizophrenia we have all these different things that aren't just 
crazy. It's not one vanilla flavor of crazy. And I think that a lot of times we see people, homeless people on the street, and we just think, oh, that this person doesn't want to work. And we don't understand mental illness, man. But we, we're going to look, when you say 100 years from now, what are we going to look back at was the most barbaric thing about this society is that we threw people in jail that were mentally ill. Yes. We were had homeless people that were mentally ill. Like there, there was a yes. there was a way to treat these things, and right. instead we let these people beg for money on the side of the street, and mm-hmm. then they became drug addicts. Mm-hmm. And we thought it's because of the no, they became drug addicts because these fucking voices they heard. They became drug addicts because of the anxiety that they were feeling, and we we didn't yeah. we didn't understand. We were dealing. We we thought they were criminals because they don't look like us. Sometimes they don't smell like us. Their teeth are missing, so, and we start thinking these people are bad. No, it's mental illness. That's the one of the well, problems. So when you do a a tour. How long is a tour? Four years? So, Six it, years? It, so for me, oh, oh, okay, when we say a tour to the Middle East, are you talking about a sign, a, a sign? A sign. You, so, you sign up and you do. Because I flew, because I flew a KC-135, it was seven years as a, as a navigator. So uh, uh, you can do two sometimes enlisted. Uh, actually, I should let Rochelle talk about this. But uh, I, I, for a pilot, it's 11 years. For a navigator, it's seven. And then for a regular, you know, regular officer in the Air Force, it's four. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you complete that, what do you get? Is there benefits? Is there pension? Is there health care? What you, do you, you get, get access, when you're done? <laughs> you get access to USAA. That's about it. <laughs> uh, uh, I am because I'm retired. I'm medically retired. I get access to everything oh. still, uh, and I get disability. But um, if you don't get disability, so I'm a retired captain. Uh, if I wasn't, if I just got out normal, then right. I would not be retired, or had not done 20 years, I would not be retired. I would just be a former former military officer. Does that make sense? Like they, they technically yeah. could, they technically could bring me back into service. How long? Well, you know, you're a cop. You put in 20 years. A lot of places you That's get exactly full pension right. and everything. Correct. What is it in the military? Is there a place where, where a- you get a- that? A- after 20 years, you will get. Your- Can I say something? Go yeah. ahead, boss. Do you guys even need me here? Yes. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we just asked. I'm you. just curious because there's. Okay, Go ahead, Rochelle. Because I'd be happy to. You guys can. I love this conversation. And I love to listen to it. I just. Well, we're going to know if you even need me here. Yeah, we, well, do, we don't need anybody here, but we hope that you have some insight <laughs> to contribute to this. So, yeah. yeah. Rochelle, can you talk to us about uh, enlisting? Well, enlisting, I mean, uh, so I just did my four years and I did four years because I wanted the GI Bill. So I joined because I tried to go to college and pay for that on my own. And I was 18 years old. And I am in a situation where my family made too much for me to get financial aid and not enough to pay for my college. So when I got the first bill as an 18-year-old child, uh, that was overwhelming. And I kind of felt lost. I didn't want to start off my life as an adult that way. So I started seeking alternatives. And I actually was not going to join the Marine Corps. It was initially the Navy. Uh, But because of where I grew up, the only permanent recruiters that were there 24-7 were the Marine Corps and the Army. And so therefore, anytime I had to meet with a Navy recruiter, um, I had to wait for him to drive an hour north to Mm. come meet with me. And as I was sitting outside of his office, the Marine Corps recruiter saw me out there and said, have you ever considered the Marine Corps? And um, admittedly, I said, cheerleaders don't join the Marine Corps. I was 18 and shall not be judged for that. Um, And he said, let me show you otherwise. And essentially from that day forward, there was no alternative. It was the Marine Corps. It, and he built that into my head that it's the best of the best. 
And, uh, and how forthcoming were you with, I want to do this because I wanted for the GI bill. Is that a good enough reason for them? Are they trying to get lifers or you're just like, I'm here short term and this is, this is my goal. That's the, we're a number. They have a number that they have to achieve. And I'm sure I, I doubt there's any correlation between a recruiter and how long a service member stays in, but I guess I wouldn't know. Um, I just know they just want you in. Yeah. They just want, you are a number. So I could have said anything and he would have said, could you sign the dotted line? Are you healthy enough to join? And And I was, and the GI bill does what it gives you uh, a certain amount of money or it just says, if you want to go to college, we'll pay for everything. The GI bill is absolutely phenomenal. It is uh, quite honestly, I wouldn't say life-changing, but pretty close. Um, so the GI bill, I was originally Montgomery. Did I say that correctly? Montgomery. I don't know because nobody uses it. Yep. Nobody uses it. But, uh, so when you get out of the service, you have to go through a steps and taps class, at least for the Marine Corps, which is a separation class, essentially preparing you for the civilian lifestyle. And I remember one of the keynote speakers that came through said that, actually, you make more money on the Montgomery than you do the post 9-11. And then he did all of this, you know, mathematical equations. And I was like, okay, well, at that point I had a four month old, so I'll take whatever gets me the most money. Here's the key call out though. With the Montgomery, you have to front the money to your colleges. And then essentially each month you'd go through a certification Mm. with the VA and that's when they issue the payments. I didn't have that money to front. So I had to borrow it, did it for one semester. And then I switched to post 9-11. When you make that switch, you can never go back. Mm. Um, And if I had to say to a veteran today, don't even have to make that switch, go post 9-11. Because you do the certification. So you sign up for your courses, you do the certification and they cover it. In addition, you also get uh, funds towards your books based off of the number of credits that you have. And the last part about that is you get BAH based on where you're located. Yes. So to have all of those things and be, you know, have my four month old um, and just trying to figure out the civilian lifestyle, that was life changing to did, me. Did you consider staying in? You, what, what, that was, what, what is your what is your feeling about the Marine Corps from when your recruiter got you to go until now? Is it better, worse, different? Did you feel like you were sold a bill of goods? Like, how, how, do, how, how do you feel about the Marine Corps? You didn't sell me on anything other than it's the best of the best. And I have that in my head. We say what we want, but I love my Marine Corps. There you go. Um, that being said, the question of were you going to be a lifer? So when I deployed, I did a year long deployment. And at that time of deployment, I was the one of the only females that did not have a child. And I saw these mothers away from their children and fathers. I don't want to discredit that, but for me personally, I can only speak as a female. I saw them away from their child for a year. And that's something that I could not do. And the reason why females have a tendency to get a bad rep is I feel like just not being honest with that, where 
if I was not willing to deploy, that means likely a male Marine or another female without children would take my place. And that's not something I was willing to do, if that makes sense. But if you, if you're doing this, you know, to get college money to me, maybe I'm lazy. That seems like a really hard path to get college money. Are there, you know, how is that then if you're like, I'm just going to work for a few years and save up and then go to college, what is the benefit of doing that route? Is it more money? Is it faster money? Is it easier money? I think it was also, I am from a family with a long lineage of veterans. And so, you know, I'm an army brat. I was born in Fort Bragg. Um, So I already had that instilled in me, but I guess if I could give any perspective and I don't know if it's really asking or answering your question, but the company that I work for now, I've, I've worked for, I got the job 30 days out of the Marine Corps. Um, Mm. and I've been there ever since. And I have a lot of coworkers that have been very transparent about the amount of debt that they're in. Wow. And we're talking some of them hundreds you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. That's a, that's a mortgage payment. That Mm -hmm. is a house Mm -hmm. that you are already starting off with that debt. And so to me, yes, could you go to a community college and then it potentially be cheaper? Absolutely. And I would definitely recommend that. But to me, I think it was a combination of this lineage having to find myself. And then college was always the, the key factor for me. Okay. Um, so back to another question. So somebody gets out of four years, eight years, 11 years, generally speaking, and Michael, you said you were what retired. What is your classification? Uh, I'm retired, uh, captain. Okay. Mm -hmm. Somebody who just, that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. Or they did some combat and they're like, something happened. They don't get anything. So, so you get a GI bill and then, uh, Rachel, Rochelle, did you, did you have anything, uh, the loan? Uh, the home loan that you can get. Um, that's all. Awesome. home right now. Yes, right. So I believe it's, is, is it a quarter million dollars? I forgot what it is because I haven't, I haven't even used mine. Uh, but I can't uh, recall. Yeah. I cannot recall. I just know for this home, my loan. certificate covered all, so, okay. all so, of it. So you can get a VA. So, so here's the two things you would get. Right. So you get like what she's talking about with the GI Bill, right? right? So here's the thing. Now, consider in her situation, if I'm working to try to save money for college, I've also got to work to pay for my life. Correct. She's she's going to get, the, the, the Marine Corps is going to feed you. The Marine Corps is going to you know, right. and, and house you to some extent. And she talked about BAH. You also get housing allowance. So, right. And then on top of that, you get the 40, 50,000, whatever for the for the, the Right. Loan. So you, you are fairly well positioned and you uh, and you if leave you the marine leave, corps like right. if if she came in to uh, to work for for a, a company that yeah, I that's own a, that's a plus. and she's a she's an NCO in the marine corps right. that's going to be a huge plus for me okay so what aren't we why are so many then people who do a tour or finish their time have so much trouble um transitioning well actually i want to hear what Rochelle has to say about this cuz i have my own theory what do you think Rochelle why do you think people have trouble t- transitioning cuz of the structure I think it's, I think it's the structure and I think it's the mental health. Essentially when you are in, that is a family, you, whether you've had a family, you know, a lot of people actually joined a lot of my, uh, fellow Marines joined because they're seeking the opportunity to have a family that they never had. And you get it, you automatically get it for better or worse, whether you're a shitbag, And I'm sorry if you have to bleep that out, but if you're a shitbag, it doesn't matter. That's my brother. That's my sister. And that, it's that's actually my name on Instagram shitbag. So I, we're fine with that. <laughs> 
Um, and then also there's this mental health component of it. And we always, there's a tendency, we shouldn't say we always, we, there's a tendency to equate mental health illness with combat experience. That is so inaccurate. Right. That's what Michael said. Yeah. Personally. Yep. I can personally, um, speak to that. And so especially, and I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to my male Marines or male service members in general. It's almost as if, if you served when I served, but you didn't have a combat deployment, your mental health is irrelevant. You don't have PTSD from combat. Does that make sense? But there's so many other things that we we experience. How many people go into the military though, because they need structure or they have some challenges going in. And so when they come out, it's going to be either the same or even worse. Well, yeah. So I've definitely seen that. I have a a friend of mine who has severe anxiety. He joined the air force. He was, he did really well in the air force and got out and he needed the structure. One of my favorite books about entrepreneurship is called the E-Myth Revisited. And they talk about the three, the three types of business people, the entrepreneur, the manager, and the technician, the Marine Corps will teach you to be a technician. The Marine Corps will teach you to be a manager to some extent, but the the Marine Corps and the U.S. Air Force, they're not really teaching you to be super creative. Does Uh that make sense? So for some people, I think the adjustment might be that on top of the fact that, um, like she said before, you have a family. Like It is really crazy for me, Brian, being in a squadron where everyone showed up on time. Because mm-hmm. if you didn't, and, and if you didn't go, to, if you didn't come to work and you didn't call in, they were sending the police for you. Yeah, you understand. And now mm-hmm. I, I deal with people who are under the age of thirty, and they're just like completely blow me off. I have an incredible offer for them, completely blow me off. Do not respond to anything, and then they're just later. They come up and talk to me like everything's okay. And I'm like, I'm. Are you a sociopath? Like, mm-hmm. what, what is what the, what is going on here, man? Mm-hmm. And th- this this ethic that I see is very different. When I was in the military, you show up on time. You know what I'm saying? That's what, um, you know, and so so when I see that, the other thing is, I'm going to talk about the other thing she said. So I flew an airplane. Uh, I was a navigator in an airplane in, in over Iraq and Afghanistan. So I, I cannot say I was not shot at. Nobody was, was firing at me with an AK-47. So for me, when I saw a lot of people suffering from mental illness from being away from their family, and like what she said before, I actually know two two young ladies who were sexually assaulted when they were in the military. That is not combat experience. That is still stuff that can cause PTSD that has nothing to do right. with being combat experience. But what happened was in the 1980s when we watched Full Metal Jacket and we watched some of those movies where people were suffering from mental illness, basically d- dealing with Vietnam. That's what we talked, the thousand yard stare. That's what we thought mental illness was. That's what we thought PTSD was. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with her completely. I think the misdiagnosis of mental illness is the is the biggest problem here is that we just don't see that these people it's not that they don't want help they can't get help there's no like they don't even know that they need help in some cases and so i think that's 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 where a lot of this is going to start yeah rochelle what were the challenges of being a woman in the military if if anything from the real world i mean is there anything different from just being a woman in a, in anything else or is military unique uh so that's interesting because um let me choose my words carefully here. <laughs> um, it's definitely. Oof, right. I'm gonna PR here for a second. Um, I guess here's the best way I can um define it. So obviously, when I was in, so I was in from 09 to 2013. And sexual assault was something that Mm. the Marine Corps specifically, and I apologize, I'm not trying to make this branch specific. I can only give my truth 
And uh, during that time, there was a huge push to focus on sexual assault because it was so heightened at that point. And so there was all these courses we had to go through and, you know, I'd be sitting in these presentations and I'd be one of, you know, 70 males in there. And I'll never forget that uh, one of the speakers for one of those courses, it was either a female captain or a major. I can't recall her rank. And she said to me, I want you to know that throughout my entire career of every rank that I possessed, I have been sexually harassed and I've also gone through sexual assault. And that's something that I would say I've personally experienced, but, um, I guess that's the best way that I can summarize that it is literally every single rank. I have been sexually harassed by majors. I have been, sorry, I don't want to go on a tangent. If you you don't want to talk about this, if you don't want to get like too specific, because I definitely know well, what was it like? There aren't that many female. What is the ratio so, when you were around? So the ratio is higher in the Air Force. We have more females uh, as, a, mm-hmm. as a percentage than the Marine Corps. Marine Corps would probably be the lowest. We also have the highest percentage of officers compared to enlisted because we have so many flyers. So it's a little bit different. Uh, it's a little bit more of a corporate mid, mid, middle management type of environment. But I had an intel officer I would go joke with every day, and she she was really funny. She would post these like cartoons in our intel brief or whatever, and she wore this titanium <laughs> wedding ring. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. How long have you been married? She's like, I'm not fucking married. She's like, I wear this thing to keep these people off me. Is that was that what the you told? To this day. Yeah, I care that I, she's like, I would have this wet wedding ring to keep these motherfuckers off me. That's what she told me, and I was like, man, that's horrible. And I remember, I just remember seeing this whole thing and just being like, this, this is. Are you allowed to date? This, Can you ask yeah, somebody yeah. else? So, so for me, it's really funny because one of my close friends, she was uh, uh, an NCO in the Marine Corps, and and I'm a captain, and we always joke. She's like, hey. Uh, I love you, Sergeant. And she's like, I love you, Captain. Just to like piss people off, because <laughs> because if we were if we were still in, it would be against the rules. But the uh, but the situation is, yes, you are allowed to date. But if it it, it if they're too far above or below you in your same chain of command, it is highly frowned upon. And if you're enlisted in their officer, then that's fraternization. And in that case, it mm-hmm. is it, it is illegal. So you're not allowed to do that. But if you show yeah. up, if you show, they, they tell you the story, Rochelle, uh, if you show up and a captain's married to a sergeant one day, they're just automatically married and they don't tell you anything, then the, then the, then the Air Force just lets it happen. But, right? They just, <laughs> poof, you were just married. Because once you're married, you're home free. I've seen, huh. I know sergeants that are married to captains. So my homegirl, Sharice Bagura, she just enlisted and her, her husband's a captain. So, yeah, that, that, I see that happen all the but time. But it's like going to a boys' school with a handful of girls, Right. I mean, is it is it ten to one or is it three to one? So for us, it would be uh, eight, maybe uh, 20, 20, 30 to one, something like that. And Rochelle, what was it for you? I would say, so if I was looking at my platoon, there was probably forty people in the platoon, and I think there was three females. And this is one of the biggest things that I'll say because I'm, there's so many stereotypes. Uh, but you have to recall a few factors and I look at it differently now that I'm a 32 year old woman, because admittedly I had a lot of shame in it, but I shouldn't have. So one, I joined when I was 18 years old, a lot of the people I served with were around that age. So you're hormonal, you are going, you know, through all these, I wouldn't say changes, but you're still experiencing that. 
too. You're away from your family. So uh, to have attention, whether it's from somebody that you should receive it from or not, you're going to gravitate towards that. Three, because I just explained the ratio, I always tell males, think of it if it were the opposite way. So I'm hormonal. I'm 18 years old and I'm surrounded by attractive males. Mm-hmm. What would happen if those flipped and the military was all attractive females? It would be like living in Vegas. <laughs> you like working yes. at a pool in Vegas. Yes. I, I, let me tell you firsthand. I've been on both sides of it. Yeah. Uh, 8% of the Marine Corps are female. I just looked it up. So it's about 12 or 13 to 1. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did you... So you're try, you're in a position where you want to balance that you don't want to have anybody, you know be untoward towards you, but part of you, you're 18 years old and you're like, oh, there's cute guys here. How do you balance that? Because you can't just shut that off both ways, you know? You don't. I was, I did anything that you would expect to do. I guess the saving grace in some sense is that, uh, so the individual that I'm going through a separation with at this point, I met him two years into my enlistment. And so I was dedicated to him. Um, but I still went through everything that I'm sure a lot of females go through and we get a bad rep for, and it's not justified. It's just, but it's not something that Rochelle can change or females speaking about it. This is a cultural discrepancy. <laughs> what, uh, what would be, and I know it's different since you, both of you have been in it. But what is the thing that that people who've not been in the military w- that you were surprised to find out once you were in there? Is there something that you're like, this is a lot different, better, worse than I thought it would be? Well, so I, I think for me, the accountability that you have towards other people is one thing. But the other thing is, like, I remember when a general would come visit and we would throw shit in the closet and everybody had to, you know, shine their shoes and all this kind of stuff. And I remember she's laughing right now because she knows what I'm talking about. And I was like, yep. man, if I was a general in the U.S. military, I wouldn't know shit because every single time I show up somewhere, I get the fakest, most, you know, ice, you know, cake icing version of whatever unit I'm visiting. And I don't get to see yep. anything. And and people want to come up and talk to you. Right. So, for instance, a general comes up and you're just like and you're, you want to tell them, like, hey, man, this is fucked. You know, we don't have enough food here. You know, I can, you can you can imagine a, a general walking through Da Nang back in, you know, 1968 and some some uh, some 03 walks up to him and is like, General, this is terrible. We shouldn't be here, blah, 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 whatever. And this guy is like court martialed afterwards. So, like, you you mm-hmm. can you can imagine how that was one of the things that I noticed. Uh, and then the other thing is there there are so many great lessons that you do learn. Uh, I know from being an Air Force officer, I deal with things at the lowest possible level, and I have learned to be not passive aggressive in my communication. If I have a problem with someone, I tell them immediately uh-huh. what the problem is and try to try to figure it out. But I, that that is probably one of the things. But the, the shock actually isn't joining the military. The shock for me was getting out and then moving to Vegas and meeting people who literally flow through life because they're attractive and then literally have no accountability for anything else that's going on. That to me has been the biggest change. And then seeing some of those people succeed. Because they're good looking or because they're popular, <laughs> they succeed and they they get there's no accountability, no integrity whatsoever. I can't imagine. I don't want to work with people who don't have integrity. Yeah. And so and that's and that's the thing that I miss from being in the in the U.S. military. Rochelle, same question. What was what was different, better, worse than what you thought going? You came from military family, so you had some information on it. Um, you know what's different from the movies? What's different from when you were in there? You're like this is you know the same, better, worse, different. 
Um, so again, I'm going to speak to this as my truth as a female Marine, uh, the level of camaraderie from my platoon, uh, they were my brothers and, um, that's something that I'll never experience again, where you just have each other's backs and yes, they'd always try to push, you know, push the boundaries. But, um, when it was pretty well established that there was no pushing of it, it was immediate just kinship with them that to this day, um, actually I just made a post about one of the Marines that I served with and he is a DI at Ferris Island. And I am so incredibly proud of this human being. He's incredible, but that, that's something that you're, I almost feel like now that I'm a veteran and I've been out for quite a few years now, you're constantly seeking that from human beings and there's no other comparison So I was just telling somebody this, um, to give you an idea, I could meet somebody off the street and we talk about branch specific a lot, but virtually any service member or veteran, I will have, I can talk to them automatically. I won't do that to a stranger, but I, I will talk to them. And yes, if it's a Marine, I understand a little bit more. So that kinship is just a little bit greater but it could be any veteran. And that's something that um, when I have a nonprofit and people talking about, why did you do this? That's a lot of it because these are my brothers and sisters and I can meet you on the street and I don't know you, but you, we automatically have this understanding that nobody else really under understands. Well, I use that twice, but anyway, I think that was the biggest thing for me is I had no expectation. I was raised in a family that's very close. So I, I'm not that type of veteran that joined and didn't have, you know, a strong background. Um, man, I just feel like I'm going on tangents. Over. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. okay. <laughs> I, 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 can, you, can you talk, can you talk to us about the enduring campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I can. Now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How about it? All right. Um, so the Enduring Campaign is an official 501c3. Sorry, my kid is texting me, my eight-year-old child, by the way. Uh, so the Enduring Campaign is a 501c3, and our primary focus is on veteran transitional centers and supporting the veterans that are part of their programs. Um, so first and foremost, a lot of veterans don't even know that transitional programs exist. In fact, we've gotten questions in our DMs of, is a transitional program about a sex? Like I'm transitioning to a different sex. Oh, okay. That's different. Yep. I've never We've heard gotten that, that question and that's not at all what it is. It's essentially transitioning veterans into the civilian lifestyle and here's, or not lifestyle, the um, life, I guess. Civilian life. But, yeah. But here's the thing. A lot of the veterans in these programs are Vietnam vets. A lot of people think that it's newly separated. That is not the case. It is Vietnam vets primarily. I mean, you'll have a mixture, but that has been the core demographic of those that participate in these programs. And essentially what these programs do, it's not just focusing on, let's get them ready for civilian lifestyle. It's focusing on substance abuse. It's focusing on mental health. It's focusing on uh, advocation for the VA. So 
do you know what you deserve and how do you go about doing that? Because for a lot of veterans, the VA is very intimidating, including myself. I have zero claims with a VA. Um, and then also, and most importantly, giving them shelter and ultimately graduating them throughout these life or throughout this process of, okay, we have shelter type housing. Then you go into more independent housing when you have the income to support it. A lot of transitional centers, in fact, all of them that we work with are VA funded, but there's always a cap on funding. And so a lot of the needs of the transitional centers, they are reliant on the community. But when a community doesn't know that they exist, uh, a lot of them struggle. And that's where the Enduring Campaign really focuses is let let us know what your veterans need yeah, and we will do everything that we possibly can to fulfill that. Yeah. Those guys, I mean, those guys are in their sixties and seventies and, and they do need a lot of help, but what, uh, let's talk about the ones who are getting out now. Does the military or do we as a society need to do better when it comes to the transition before they get out or after they get out? Where is the, the lack of support? Obviously, if you do better job before people get out, it's going to make it easier. But where do the resources need to, where are we lacking? I, we're probably lacking on both sides, but where does the focus need to go? Uh, I, I personally think it's the diagnosis of, of what's actually going wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, actually, mm-hmm. Michelle, you said something I want to know. Um, so I go to the VA all the time. There's four, I believe we have four clinics here. We have Nellis Air Force Base, and then we have uh, the, the hospital up on Pecos, which is, I, I think it's a magnificent hospital. Uh, do, what is it that may, was intimidating to you about the VA claim? Was there some? Was it complicated, or was it just something that you, you felt? What, what was what was the problem? I'm just curious. It wasn't complicated from my perspective. It was just that there is such a negative connotation about oh, okay. how the VA treats that that it's almost intimidating to me to the point where, uh, hold on, my eight year old's going to keep coming up because he's. I'm upset about something, but, um, so for me, I am a, I've been to Afghanistan. I'm a female and I served. So the VA has, uh, tried to get me to participate into a lot of, um, I'm gonna, like studies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, you almost feel like, and they'll incentivize you. They'll say, oh, you do this. And yeah, they do a lot of schizophrenia studies. Money. <laughs> um, and so that was something that turned me off is I almost felt like a, I'm just a study case. I and that. I didn't want that. So um, I just haven't gone through right. any of that. Right. So back to the question, though. We need to devote more resources before people get out. Or have them available after they give out? I know you can say both, but where are we lacking? This is really for tough. the current. I, the I, current I, I remember. A, I remember a lot of transitional stuff when I got. I do. Rochelle, do you remember the "Don't beat your wife" brief? When you come home, well, she didn't have um. a wife. No, no, no. That's what they called us. I would. I went in there, and I know Marines. They told me the same thing. When you come back from a deployment. They give you a briefing about when you go and see your wife for the first time because there was so much infidelity with with when you come back home, and people mm-hmm. would get, we, people would get angry. And the the pre the, this chaplain comes in and he goes, "Yes, this is the don't beat your wife brief." And I was like, "What? What? The, what do you?" I didn't have a wife at the time, obviously, and I just remember that that we, they try to transition you. They do. The problem is that the one size fits all manner doesn't really work. It's one of these situations where 
you need something different for different people. Yeah, I, some people are going back to a family and a structure. And some people went into the military because mm -hmm. they never had those things. Yeah, so for me, for me, I had I came out and I had job prospects and some real estate investments, so I was good. And I tried to help some of my friends when I got out. Some of my other friends, they got out, and it just became a situation to where they needed the, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but they needed the structure, right? And they 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 got into they got into some bad stuff because of it. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I just don't think it's a one-size-fits-all kind of deal. This is a really hard question to solve. I think afterwards, should there be transitional things that can help you with, uh, they can help you with for sure. As far as what she's talking about with housing, that is a no-brainer. Obviously, if somebody served in the military and they're sitting there in a situation where it has gotten so dire that they do not have a place to live, of course there should be something for that. Uh, and I don't know. Well, that depends, too. Everybody's military experience is different. Yes. You know, if you were down in Pendleton well, but, but, and you worked behind a desk and then 20 years later you, you found yourself, but, should the government, you know, but, should but the... You're, but you're, yes. But the, you, signed a, you signed the dotted line that a lot of people would not be willing to right. sign. So, and, and that is the problem right there is, and that's going back to something that I said, your correlation to combat experience should, does it have a factor? Absolutely. And I have it an immense amount of appreciation for those that have been through combat, but that's the mentality that has to change is I sat behind a desk. So I'm not deserving of what this country can offer their veterans. That's bullshit. You signed a line that so many people are not willing to sign no matter what the reason is. So they should have the access to benefits that everybody else does. Now, being very sensitive that if you do have combat experience and you have physical injuries for that, that's different to me. And that's not what I'm saying. But what I am ultimately saying is if we look at the statistics of who joins and how many Americans actually join the U S military, every single one of them should be represented as far as housing, uh, you know, a livelihood in the civilian lifestyle, because we signed that data line. Okay, that's fair. Last word, Michael. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say this again. Like, um, I am so proud of the people that I served with. I still talk to them. I, I know one of the craziest things that happened. I'm 43 years old, and when I see some dude that I saw drunk in a bar sometime, and he's got promoted to 06, I'm like, oh six, bro. Right? I'm like, bro, we are kids, <laughs> dude. They let the kids run the squadron now, dude. There is no way this guy is an 06, bro. I feel so old when my friends are lieutenant colonels. That is crazy to me, but I'm just so proud of them. And it's a brotherhood that you get to be a part of. So I would tell anybody who's listening to this, it, it is a gift if you join the military. It is a privilege if you join the military. Most of almost all of us, and, and it, maybe there are individual examples where you had a bad, you know, squadron commander or something like that. But for the most part, I found that it was a gift and it has definitely given me massive advantages in life since I've gotten out. And I will also say, but I will also say that, yes, I'm, I'm a person that, uh, I also think, here's the thing, Brian, a lot of people are going to get into the military with predispositions for mental illness. Uh -huh. Then they're going to be in the military, then they're going to get out and that mental illness is going to manifest. And so we need to take, uh, like she said before, we need to take, uh, there, we got it. We got to take care of our warriors. Because if we don't, we're not going to have any more warriors, right? I think yeah. that might be the simplest way to, stay, to state it. Yeah, the, the worst advertising for getting in the military is see how we treat people on the back end. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that. Michelle, final thought? Ooh, final thought. Um, I agree with this. And also, um, again, going back to my truth. So one of the things that was mentioned is, you know, some people separating are prepared for civilian lifestyle, but 
if I'm looking back at my truth and a lot of who I served with, which would be lower ranking Marines, is that we all joined around this time frame where we're 18, 19 years old. We don't have a college degree. Um, you know, a lot of us are suffering from mental illness, whether it is has a direct correlation to the military or just happened to be part of our military experience. But it's almost like these odds, there's a lot of odds stacked against you, but there's a lot of resources that I feel like veterans don't know. And I've talked about veteran transitional centers, but that's, that is so, I mean, there are so many resources and, um, I think that needs to be the focus of what are the resources that are available to our veterans, whether it's to find a job, to find housing, to find mental health, you know, care, whatever the case may be, there's so many nonprofits out there. There's so many organizations that exist to support virtually any veteran. And I think that's the final thing that I want to say is I'm not here, just promoting my NPO. I'm talking about all of these incredible organizations that exist to support those that have served no matter the capacity that they served in. So this was fun. You guys as a civilian, I know I always have a lot of questions. <laughs> I know I understand you guys did a really good job of uh, laying it out and uh, painting a good picture. Um, we thank you for your service. Of course. Both of you and all of you out there. Uh, as far as us, again, as always, like, share, subscribe, and please review Political Junkies on all your platforms. Your reviews mean a lot in the podcasting world. Uh, and we will see you next time right here on Political Junkies. Rochelle, come visit us in Vegas. <laughs>